Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation and communication. And wow, we are excited to have an amazing guest <laughs> on uh, Framework Leadership today, Dr. Amy my Franklin. My favorite neurobiologist. Yes. Yes. My favorite I, one. I have arrived. Edith Andrew <laughs> Huberman. You're only my second favorite. This one's my favorite right off the yeah, top. I feel the need to say he's probably my favorite, so then I... That's, right. Yeah, you I can be your that. favorite. My favorite. You're my yeah, right, favorite. Right, He's my right, second favorite. Right. Yep. Dr. Franklin <laughs> serves as the Dean of the College of Natural and Health Sciences here at Southeastern University. She oversees kinesiology, mathematics, natural sciences, and the nursing department. She holds a bachelor's degree in biology from SCU and a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Dr. Franklin has received many, 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 many awards mm -hmm. for Outstanding Faculty of the Year. She has a passion for mentoring and advising students, and it's always a privilege to be able to have a conversation with you, Dr. Franklin. It's such an honor to be here. I'm super excited to talk to you both today. Always have fun when I'm here. So yes. we, we do. We look forward to it. Now, as we start our conversation, I want to ask you this. A lot of young adults are at the beginning of their careers. Uh, maybe starting internships or their first job. With that being said, um, I'd love to get into the neuroscience of productivity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, how does social, uh, let's talk about social bonding and, and the concept of trusting each other, trusting other people, tie, tie into you know, leadership roles and things yeah. like that. No, that's great. I want to um, start off by setting the bar low. Okay. And, and letting you ultra all, low. yeah, ultra low, and letting you all know my my area of expertise is is synaptic physiology and learning and memory and okay. then the hippocampus. So I'm just going to throw out mm. big words sure. to sound impressive. And but then, so what the mm. point is, this is not my specific area, but as a neuroscientist, I do have a lot of thoughts on this and and some experience in so this area. So we should attach a definition of terms to this. Right. Podcast. Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, in we'll the show notes. The appendix. <laughs> yeah. In the show notes will be there. You I'll, can I'll go be happy yeah. to provide yeah. those. Yeah. So I'm going to. I'll start with what you first said about neuroproductivity. Yes. And and so we uh, everybody's always wants to do do better and, and how can we get our brains to to be more productive and, and what what can we do? So there there are actually like three hormones uh, sorry, neurotransmitters in the brain. So neurotransmitters are chemical messengers that that allow neurons to talk to each other. So mm -hmm. if if you're a neuron and you're a neuron and I'm a neuron and we mm -hmm. all need to communicate, we actually don't directly touch one another. We send I we send signals to each other and those signals are what are called neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. A lot of popular ones that people have probably heard of are dopamine, serotonin, serotonin, sure. that, that type of thing. So there are three neurotransmitters that neurons use to communicate that are really um, essential for productivity in the brain. And those three, uh, the, the, the first one is dopamine. Mm. Most people are familiar with that. That's a feel-good hormone. Right. So you get a dopamine release anytime you do something that feels good. Um, now, most people are familiar with dopamine uh, in regards to um, addiction, drugs of abuse. So any uh, drugs of abuse can hijack the system, and, and you're, it, that's why it feels good, and then you become addicted to that feel-good feeling. But dopamine in, in regards to productivity, we can actually use that. So, right. so what I do in my own personal life is uh, you can, anytime I have tasks to do, I always make a checklist first thing uh, because the physical act of checking off a right, list gives right. you a dopamine exactly. release. Love it. So, yeah. you know, first thing on the list, make a list. Done. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so um, I, I also uh, encourage students to do this all the time, especially when you have a lot of assignments to make a list because you actually get a, a neurochemical reward from most individuals. I don't want to generalize to everyone. Most individuals get a reward from, mm -hmm. from um, checking off a list. 
Um, so that's kind of the feel good. When you're doing something you enjoy, it's really easy to be productive because you're getting that dopamine release. When you're when you're doing a task that you don't necessarily enjoy, you you have to 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 manufacture rewards. Like uh, if I write, if I have a 20 page paper due and I write five pages, I get to take a break and watch my favorite uh, Netflix show right. that I get to binge. So you create rewards sure. in a task you, you don't want to do. And another thing with dopamine um, that, that can increase productivity is you get a dopamine release um, from social media, from seeing likes on Instagram, yeah. from Twitter. From, so if you're trying to be productive, you need to remove things from your area that are going to give you a bigger dopamine release right. than that checklist is. Mm -hmm. So me personally, I, I love uh, some some very limited reality TV on Netflix. Sure. I won't say which one. But <laughs> but I can't have that show playing in the background when I'm trying when to get something done because I'll get right. a bigger dopamine release from watching that show right. than I will from the task at hand. So that's one way to kind of increase productivity. The second hormone, uh, so there's dopamine and then there's uh, noradrenaline or norepinephrine. Yeah. And this is uh, a hormone, or a, sorry, I keep saying hormone, a neurotransmitter that's released in response to stress, mm. fight or flight. Um, when, when you see a bear, are you going to run from it? Or are you going to fight it? Or are you going to freeze is actually the third, third response. But most people think of stress as being a bad thing, but a little bit of stress is actually good. Right. It's, it's good for your brain. It's good for focus and good for attention. This is oftentimes why procrastinators uh, get stuff done because mm. their sympathetic response kicks in because uh, the yeah. deadline's in an hour and they're able to get a lot get done, done because yeah. you get this hyper focus from the, the sympathetic response. You can't perpetually be in that state no, or it's yeah. negative on your brain and negative on your system. But a little stress, a little stress is good. Mm. A lot of stress is bad. So that's norepinephrine. So giving yourself deadlines. So not wait. Mm. So so tricking your brain into thinking you have a deadline. I do this all the time. The deadline's in a month. I tell myself I have to have a quarter of it done by next week and give mm -hmm. yourself these. And so then you can procrastinate safely within the system and get a little safe right. bump in, in norepinephrine or noradrenaline. Um, the third hormone is acetylcholine. This hormone... I keep saying hormone. You guys correct me, man. You guys, are, you guys are card-carrying neuroscientists now. you got to yes. hold me accountable. Right, right. Uh, the third neurotransmitter is uh, acetylcholine, and this one is involved in learning and memory and attention mm. and focus. Um, it's also involved in how we move our muscles when we flex our muscles. Yeah. It's, it's through acetylcholine. Acetylcholine is essential in the region of the brain hippocampus where I was talking about. Um, it's involved in, again, learning, memory, completing tasks. Uh, there's actually a deficit of acetylcholine in a lot of neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's right. disease. So um, ways of boosting, natural ways of boosting acetylcholine, one of them is through um, light activity or light exercise. So taking a walk, mm -hmm. um, it actually increases BDNF, which can help boost acetylcholine. Mm -hmm. BDNF um, is a neurotrophin called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So one way to do it is to be physically healthy, but, mm -hmm. but also before starting a task where you need to be productive, take a 20-minute brisk walk. Um, now, okay. doing an intense workout can actually be detrimental to it to attention and, and mm -hmm. production. Um, so, starting your morning with a 20-minute brisk walk, remove all distractions when you start the task, give yeah. yourself little deadlines, reward yourself. Those are all ways to maybe increase neuro productivity. Mm -hmm. The second part of your question, you guys are going to learn. I'm a little long-winded, so you got to oh, cut no. me off when no, I talk too much science. Listen, I think you going. talked about the question was about social bonding mm -hmm. right. in regards to leadership. Yeah. Um, so this is a, an interesting uh, topic that I've recently become interested in as a, as a new leader. I've, uh, you mentioned I was the dean of the College of Natural and Health Science. This is new. I'm just completing my, my first year, so I've really 
started thinking about leadership more strategically mm-hmm. and, and kind of and, and what I want to do. And I've recently learned that um, social interactions are extremely important for leadership. I mean, intuitively, we know mm-hmm. that you, the people have to like you to follow right. you. They're not going to yeah. follow you if right. they don't like you. Right. They don't trust you. But um, in relationships, when we form relationships with people, uh, we, we can actually release this hormone, and this one's an actual hormone called oxytocin. <laughs> yep. And um, oxytocin is, uh, we, we like to think of it, most people are familiar if they've heard of oxytocin, it's in, in childbirth. So right. oxytocin is actually what stimulates childbirth. In fact, if anyone's ever been induced, a lot of people have heard of it, uh, Pitocin is a, is a synthetic form of that. So that's a way to induce labor is Pitocin. So oxytocin is, is popular for uh, in, when you're thinking about childbirth and breastfeeding because it actually stimulates um, lactation. So, but what, what we're beginning to appreciate is oxytocin is released in men and they're not bearing children and, right. and uh, breastfeeding. But, um, but oxytocin is also uh, very much a social hormone. It's a, it's a feel-good hormone. Mm-hmm. When you have good, positive social connections, mm. you release oxytocin. So why is that important in regards to leadership? Uh, there are several studies that show that when you give oxytocin, and you can actually do it in a nasal spray, and, and you take a group and you give some of them uh, a placebo spray, with, they're getting nothing, some of them oxytocin in their nose, they are more likely to go along with a charismatic leader if they have an, uh, an, an oxytocin mm. boost. Wow. So this is interesting because what it means is um, if you're a charismatic leader, those that get a release of oxytocin around you will be more likely to follow you mm-hmm. and more likely to believe what you say. So the question is, how do we get the people that are following us to have oxytocin? Mm-hmm. So so I, I made a joke earlier when I was talking to someone. We There there are things called uh, nicotine toothpicks. Maybe we start <laughs> oh, handing yeah, out yeah. nicotine oxytocin, <laughs> right, or sorry, right. oxytocin toothpicks to, uh, to everyone following us. I, I don't think manipulation is the way to there do it. Go. It's That's actually right. quite, quite the opposite right, is right. true. Um, how oxytocin is released when we interact with people is through trust and positive interactions. Mm-hmm. So if you want your team to follow you and without manipulation, you need to be authentic mm-hmm. and in time, time spent with the people that you're wanting to, right. to believe in you and trust you is one of the biggest factors. There's also an oxytocin release when you share a meal. Food mm. actually causes an oxytocin release. So there's something to be said oh, wow. about eating together, yeah. communing together and building that natural trust. Um, and then people will, when they see you, get an oxytocin release. Right. So when you ask them to do something, they're more inclined to say mm-hmm. yes. And it's all... Uh, not yeah. all do, but it can yeah. be due to um, this these hormones being released. Yeah. So, There's a flip side of that mm. because that can be manipulated. Right, right. right. Say, so, yeah. so in, with that knowledge, um, this is also why a lot of people follow charismatic leaders down bad paths. Right. Um, because they are they're getting these release of these hormones mm-hmm. and more likely to follow something they normally otherwise would not. We right. can cognitively override this, but but sometimes we don't. Right. So I actually, in learning this, and I've had this sign in my office this whole year, um, but I, I have a sign in my office that actually says character over charisma mm. to make sure that your character matches the level of charisma that you have, because if not, you're going to do something nefarious with the people that are following you. Right. And now there's a scientific explanation as mm-hmm. to as to why and how that happens. Yeah. yeah, this one study I was I was hearing about on the Huberman Lab podcast, they talked about how um, when somebody is tagged as your as 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 a your person, and that's yeah. the that's the phrase they use. This is my people. Right. We are all the same people. When somebody's tagged like that in your brain, just seeing them on the street, just walking past them, yeah. 
releases the oxytocin Correct. on that side Correct. of it. And that's how powerful this kind of, I mean, this really gets back to like tribalism, right? Like right. this is, you know, we like to find our people, who's our tribe and kind right. of collect around that. And then that's the, forms the social bond right there. Right. So, so uh, married couples that live together have higher levels of baseline levels of mm-hmm. oxytocin. Um, it's, it's oftentimes called the love hormone, not necessarily the attraction hormone, but the love hormone, that feeling of safety, security. And so Mm -hmm. if you want to build that in the people that are following you, you, you need to be someone who's safe and they need to have experiences with you that then lead to Mm -hmm. oxytocin release Mm -hmm. and then they will follow you. And the study he was talking about, the other one he said was, um, on shared experiences specifically, they did this one study where they had everybody hear the same narrative story and they had them hear it in different times and at different locations and all the different stuff. But their um, their dopamine releases and their oxytocin releases synced with the narrative story because right. the narrative is the way that we communicate right, and, became right. and all that kind of stuff. So this idea that shared narrative, shared values is another way to kind of accelerate that social bonding. If you know that me and you value the same thing and have a common story, right? Working here at Southeastern tags us as our, as our people. Right. There's also a a negative side to that Mm -hmm. in that, um, those we don't have shared experiences with, we're less likely to listen to their, their beliefs. So it's, it kind of is one of the things that kind of drives division as well. Mm -hmm. So while there's a positive to it, there's a there's a flip side. So it kind of gives you this in-group versus out-group mentality mm-hmm. as well. So there's positive, but it right. can uh, th- there can always be uh, downsides yeah. or nefarious sides to it. So if you think well. about it as a leader, your goal is then to, you know, if you're, if you're a leader that wants to get through division, right? The, right. You know, what you got to do is communicate to the people that have tagged you as their leader, right. that shared right. story. How can I tell stories about this other group that maybe you didn't like? Right. Bring them in and create and, those, and have to prove yourself trustworthy, mm-hmm. and 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 you you build that oxytocin shared experience through positive interactions. Yeah, it always has to, it has to be positive, more positive experiences than negative. Love it. So yeah, it's wow, it's fascinating. I want to change the subject a little bit um, and talk about your experience here at Southeastern. Uh, how how did your education really set you up for? your current success and ultimately impact your life, change your life. Yeah. So I, I'm finishing my eighth year as a faculty member here at Southeastern and I was a student here for three and a half years. So nearly um, almost half of my life has been spent uh, in connection with Southeastern. Mm -hmm. Um, As a student, my experiences here were phenomenal. I, the academic education that I received set me up for success in, in graduate school. Um, I, I did not feel overwhelmed, so academically I was completely prepared. But to be honest, I, I think the majority of universities could have prepared me academically uh, for, for graduate school. What was different about my experience here at Southeastern were the relationships with the faculty. Uh, they taught me how to, through through example, how to mentor with appropriate boundaries, how to inspire, how to lead, um, and and how to how to live out their faith and and how how to question their faith and that's okay. And so, so really what drew me back to Southeastern was, was the faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I have an opportunity for the last eight years to work with them and now be in a position of leadership. And it's, it's truly incredible um, because it's the relationships that, that drew me mm-hmm. back. And my goal is to, that we have students who, I, I don't necessarily want them all to come back. I want them to go, go change the world, but to have that same experience when right. they leave here to say, okay, I, I feel prepared academically, but so much more than that as a whole person, I feel mm-hmm. prepared to navigate the world um, in, in my chosen career. And you had amazing opportunities. 
Uh, when you graduated, you know, I, uh, yeah. uh, that you could have taken that Correct, would have yeah. really, yeah. like, uh, mention a couple of those. Or yeah, so least. when I when I finished graduate school, I had uh, several postdoc op, uh, postdoc uh, research opportunities, and I and I was al- almost took a couple, and and I have students ask me all the time if I regret not taking them, and. If I can be transparent, I'm I'm sitting here with my with my bosses, mm. but uh, I'll <laughs> yeah. be transparent about. I'd be lying if I said there weren't times, and I and I'm I tell students this all the time. I'd be lying if I if I don't if I said I never said. Oh man, I could be running a big lab somewhere. Sure, I sure, could hey. be Andrew Huberman, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you will be by the time we're done with this podcast. Right, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I need a, I need a glow up though. Right. I'm gonna need some we'll work, work somewhere. Okay. No, 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 you look great um, on camera. But, you look uh, better than he does on camera. <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> um, on the off chance he listens to this, I think <laughs> you look great, Andrew <laughs> Huberman. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think um, I would have been happy in those opportunities. I, I really do. I think I would have been fulfilled. But what I get in my interaction with students, and, and I, I again, I tell them this story. I, when I was a student here, I was sitting in chapel one day, and the, the, the chapel speaker was talking about how um, the conversion of Saul to Paul was, was you know, so important, and we get Paul the greatest missionary we've ever had. And if Saul didn't go through that conversion, we, wouldn't have, we might not have the Christian faith all over the world like we do, but, but what most people don't talk about in that story was Ananias and how it was his obedience that right. actually allowed right. for the conversion of Saul to Paul. And the um, the speaker that day at the end said, you know, some of you in this room will be a Paul and you're going to be a world changer, but some of you are going to be an Ananias mm-hmm. and you're going to be the one that trains and equips the Pauls of the world. And so I thought I was going to be a Paul, mm-hmm. but I, I actually am so glad and and feel like my true calling is being an, an, an Ananias and, and mentoring those students wow. who are going to go out and change the world and, and raising a generation of Paul oh scientists and nurses and exercise physiologists. So while I did have opportunity, and I and I do think about that, I, I think I could have been happy doing that. I, I believe in our divine design and our calling, uh, I think so many people think it's such a specific, narrow thing, but but my belief, and I tell students this all the time, that, that God gave you gifts, talents, and abilities and he wants you to use those for his glory. And as long as you're doing that, you you kind of have some freedom. And right, and right. my choice was to come here, and it's I haven't regretted it since. Yeah. So. And one of the coolest things I think you're doing right now with our students that maybe not a lot of people hear, but I'd love for our listeners to to hear more about is um you started a, an undergraduate neuroscience research lab or yeah. or projects with right, our right, students right. on campus. Tell us a little bit about this project. What are you yeah. What are you doing with it? What are we hoping to accomplish? And what are the students working on right now? Yeah, so you asked me my experience here, and I said I was very, I was academically prepared, but I, I'll be honest, when I, when I went to graduate school, I'd never stepped foot in a research lab. Mm. So while I was crushing my didactic lectures, I, I had never been in a research lab. So when I did come back, um, I said, if I come back, I want to start a research lab. I, I want to do undergraduate mm. neuroscience research. And the university has been nothing but supportive and said, okay, what do you need? So I was able to buy some equipment and form some collaborations so that we can get animal tissue. And because I wanted students, I know they're going to be prepared academically. I wanted them to have experiential learning as well. Mm. And so out of that, we now have three research labs. Uh, I have a neuroscience research lab where we have collaborations where other labs provide us with uh, mouse and rat brain tissue and our students do experiments on those. We have an organic uh, synthesis research lab where they're looking at uh, novel ways to synthesize Parkinson's therapeutic drugs. We also have a a more biological um, lab where it's looking at using diatoms to produce fossil fuels. Uh, So so basically algae is a way to produce fuel. So that's all being done here. 
in addition to the collaborations we have where we send students other places like Lakeland Regional where we have the clinical research internship. So that was a, a big um, non-negotiable when I came here is, is I want to be here. I want to, I want to change, you know, I want to be that influence on students' lives that I had, but I also want to bring research uh, with mm-hmm. me. And it also gives me the opportunity to still dabble in it uh, a little right. bit and, and keep up with keep, it. Keep my, keep my toes in the water. So love it. That's good. So, yeah. Love it. And it's so exciting. And I think we're going to, um, probably by the time this podcast airs, it'll be later this fall or, or early spring. We're working yeah. on, um, some more content for you guys to hear about this different stuff the students are working on yeah. from themselves. So yeah. I'm excited about it's watching so that. Yeah. And, and out of those research labs, um, almost every student and I, I should have the numbers off the top of my head, is either in a PhD program wow. or in medical school. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost every student that has come through our labs. Well, you think about the kingdom impact that that's going to have, right? right? To have people that, as Ken, as you say all the time, integrate their faith, their right. learning, their right. life into the medical field going out right. with that. They have those hats and all that right. kind of thing. Right. And that's that's the goal of the program is to yeah. produce, you know, uh, Jesus-loving professionals. <laughs> and that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, over overall with your experiences here at SEU, you've integrated, um, you have integrated your education with your faith. Uh, and and with that being said, we would really love to dive into the concept of faith and science, yeah. um, you know, intertwined. A lot of people say you can't have both, um, and there's a clear divide between the two. But how do you how do you combat those claims? And and how does science inform faith? Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a great question, and again, I'll answer transparently in that um, I, I had some trouble in graduate school. I, I came to Southeastern. I, I'm a pastor's kid. I was raised in church, and I, I had a great education here. I was kind of surrounded by um, great uh, religion professors and great chapel services, and when I got to graduate school and kind of learned about neuroscience, and there were some things that kind of rocked me a little bit mm-hmm. and caused me to question and doubt and I had to work through that, but what what I came out on the other side of that is question and doubt is exactly what makes faith authentic. Right. If you don't test it, if you don't question it, it's is it even yours? Mm. So um, so I, I think the two actually go hand in hand. Albert Einstein and some some argue that this quote is taken out of context, but but I'll still share it that Albert Einstein actually says that um, religion without science, or sorry, science without religion is lame. And religion without science is blind. Hmm. So you actually need, you, you need the two. And right. and I um, I love when when religion or I, I actually hate calling it religion when relationship sure, with right. Jesus is is found in science. Uh, I actually love listening to a lot of podcasts like yeah. Michael does, and I love listening to secular podcasts and hearing scientific conclusions that back up biblical, biblical. foundations. Right. Um, <laughs> this idea of leadership in causing an oxytocin release, um, in spending time and sharing meals. That's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. He spent time. He was authentic. Mm -hmm. He was trustworthy. He shared meals with them. So of course they followed. So, so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, we see that in, we see these scientific concepts, the, the idea that the brain is plastic and that we can change it. You know, there's a scripture in the the New Testament talks about renewing our mind daily. That's a scientific thing that happens. So so I, I don't think the two are at odds. And if they ever are, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think that as as Christians, sometimes we like to put God in a box because we have this need to understand and this need to be able to, to predict an outcome. But mm-hmm. but I we don't need to put him in this box and I, I I don't I don't ever find them at odds. And when they are, it's 
it'll be worked out. We, we just haven't found the rest of the data mm-hmm. yet. So we're, we're always discovering new. So yes. I actually, because of my experience of kind of leaving the bubble and, and really running into some doubts and some questions, I actually really encourage my students to start questioning here mm. where there's safe places yeah. to go for answers. And, and in my neuroscience class, I ask them, I don't want to say controversial questions, but really say, well, why do you believe that? Do you really right. believe that? Right. Well, well, you really believe that verse? Why? And, mm-hmm. and force them to come to, to question it. So then when they come back home, they know that's their belief and not the belief of their parents or their professors. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you're walking them through those students, you know, how, what are some other ways you're preparing them for that real life, right? When things are coming in and how can, how do you coach them on coming back or is there coming back? Walk us through what that process looks yeah, like. Yeah. So, so I, for, for better or worse, I, I always say, um, when you're making decisions, you, you make the best decision you can with the data available. And so data never scares me. So mm. I, I show students data. And, and if it's controversial to maybe what we believe, we say, here's this data, here's this data. Now come come to a conclusion. Mm. But as we gather more data, the conclusion, your conclusion may have to change. Mm. You're, so um, I, I kind of teach students that process. I, of course, I tell them there are some absolute truths uh, right. that, that aren't going to change, right. that are ever mm-hmm. constant. But, but a lot of the things that we argue about and bicker about in, in politics and in faith, um, the more data we get, we kind of, and I hate to use the word evolve, but we, we, our opinions and, and yeah. uh, interpretations kind of evolve. So I, I kind of force students to be exposed to all sides of an argument right. and, and not be afraid of the other side and not be afraid for discussion and not be afraid of those things. So Because that's what's going to be necessary in the real world mm-hmm. to communicate. Not everyone... When you leave Southeastern or when you leave your bubble, your group, most people are not going to have the same opinions on you with, uh, as you about everything. So yep. you have to be able to, to see things from other people's perspectives right. and, and be able to understand. So. Love it. So good. So powerful, man. Great conversation. We could literally do a series of conversations with Sign you. Me up. And Sign we me will. Up. And we yeah. will. Yeah. We'll, have to, yeah. we'll have to do that. But yeah. We're going to move into our fire round. All right. And I'm ready. Uh, you know what that's all about. Ask you a few questions I surrounding do. a little bit of everything we discussed. And we just want that, you know, first thought that comes and, okay. and give it to us. So uh, we want to grab some good practical and applicable pieces of advice for okay. our, all of our, our listeners. So Michael, mm-hmm. fire away. Love it. Um, what is the number one way leaders can build trust on their teams? I would say time, mm-hmm. time, investing time with the people you're leading cool. and authenticity. Yeah. So um, number two, two things. Two things. Tied 1A, 1B. Yeah. And, and, and with that, <laughs> and food, have a meal. Food. food. Eat, eat, and yeah. food. Eat chocolate. Eat. Yes. Chocolate. Dark cake. chocolate. Yes. Dark, Dark chocolate. chocolate. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Love it. <laughs> That's another podcast. Big. <laughs> <laughs> Dark chocolate, aphrodisiacs, anything yes. oh, that hey, produces. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. I, I yeah. didn't touch this ex, uh, <laughs> oxytocin <laughs> connection, That's but since you brought it up. Right yeah. That's the next podcast. There it is. Yeah, the sex podcast. Yeah. Coming this fall. I do a series on it with students. That's so right, you do, I'm and it's a very popular series. Happy to talk about it. Yeah, love it. What are uh, What are some tips for our our graduates who are navigating post college life? Yeah, that's a good one. I I this is what I tell students who I advise: um, have a plan, have a long term goal, but don't be so locked into your long term goal that you miss opportunities that are right in front of you. So right. I tell students to focus on the next right step. Yeah. Um, you can't be so focused on the, you need to have goals. So, so when, to be candid, when I was a student here, my goal was med school, but the next right step for me, when I left here, I got an invitation to apply to a PhD program. So I took that next right step 
And so I was still working towards a goal, sure. yeah. but don't miss the opportunities that are in front of you just because you're so focused on right. what you mm-hmm. think is the end goal. Well, so sad. next next right step is all you can do. You That's can't good. worry about 10 steps. Love it. Love it. Last question. If I am uh, needing to learn something as quickly as possible... Um, and this is cocaine. No, I'm just right. kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. Joke, 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 joke. Leave that one in there, guys. Don't cut that one out. Edit that one out. Don't cut that one out. Leave that. Leave that. That's gold. That's the best soundbite. No, no. If I need to learn something as quickly as possible, not just the fact, but also how to do it, what's the best way to do that? Uh, that's an impossible question to answer because everybody has different learning styles. Okay. So it would depend right. on your learning style. Got um, it. Uh, for me, cram at the last minute and repeat, repeat, repeat. But okay. Uh, okay. but that might not be your learning style. And, and what I've learned in my eight years of teaching is, is students learn different ways. We all learn different ways. So figure out the way you learn mm-hmm. and then get good at it. Love it. Love it. That's great. Man, yeah. fascinating conversation. And again, we could talk for a long, long time. Great stuff. Yeah. You're, you're an amazing professor. We are grateful Thank that you. Uh, Thank you. you are in the classroom mm-hmm. and, and teaching, it's my favorite place to be, teaching so. these amazing students that God sends our way. But more importantly, you've become an amazing leader. Yep. Uh, as as dean and and you've just as you mentioned completed your first year, but already we see the effects of your leadership and um, the way you are leading uh, the College of well, Natural th- Health Sciences. Thank you so much and, for saying that. I'm, yeah, I'm having so, fun. I'm having fun, and I'll yeah. be back next year. That's so. right. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, exactly right. You yeah. signed that contract. Signed that contract. Yeah, it <laughs> signed it. So that's good. If you want to stay up to date with Dr. Franklin, you can follow her on Instagram at dean underscore franklin underscore seu. Yeah, correct. Oh, yep. All right, got that right. Love it. Love it. And for more leadership content, check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Engel at Dr. Michael Steiner. Or if you want to follow Dr. Engel on Twitter, check him out at Kent Engel. If you're watching us on YouTube right now and you loved this episode like I did, I want you to hit that (laughs) like button, hit that subscribe button so you get more leadership content in your YouTube feed every single week. Never miss an episode. You can also visit our website, KentEngel.com. Sign up for our leadership newsletter. This is where we have the best news, the best topic, um, the best picks that you have for leadership content right to your inbox every single week. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.